The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Good Morning New York. It is Tuesday, March 31st, and I am your host, Vince Rocco. We're coming to you live from Blast Off Studios here in Times Square, as always. We have a little bit of a change-up in program this morning. Our featured guest is not able to be with us today, so we're going to spend all of today with our featured panel. Perul Brombat is here, Niall Lundgren is here, Phil Horrigan, and Deborah Hoffman. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Good morning, Good morning. So what's new, guys? What's happening this week in the, in the wonderful world of real estate? <laughs> I think the snow is finally melting. And as of last Sunday, when I was walking around, the streets are filled with brokers and buyers. Well, it's interesting because I woke up this morning to the news, as I usually do, and it said a mix of rain and snow today or later tonight into tomorrow. And I thought, even though New York, Manhattan isn't going to be getting a lot of it, it's still depressing to hear on March 31st that we're having anything to do with snow in the forecast. But this is New York, and what are you going to do? Um I just I had a very busy um open house this uh past weekend. You know, open house is a funny thing. It's it's either very busy or it's very, you know, quiet based on weather conditions, sometimes based on holiday day, time of year. This weekend was so crazy busy in Midtown West. I almost lost it. It was unbelievably busy running I had three apartments in the same building uh, uh, this week on open house. And so I had one person helping me out. But it was so crazy busy. So many people. I lost count of people. And one of the apartments is $3 million. So you know, the other one is a million eight, And the other one is, I don't know, six or $700,000. But encouraging to see the amount of people out there looking for apartments. And I thought, well, this is a great sign. Is this now the actual beginning of the spring season? And is it because the winter months have been so crazy busy, uh, so crazy cold that people were just hiding? Because all of a sudden this weekend it was crazy. Did you guys see anything like that out in open house or hearing from your buyers that, you know, lines to get into places? We actually had a line to get into my penthouse. It was amazing. Did you see different traffic in the different – I'm just curious, like on the three different price points, did you notice a difference in traffic? Uh, a little bit of difference, but but unbelievable. The $3 million apartment, $3 million apartment got the most traffic. Wow. And the I most can't, traffic? Yeah. The most traffic. Wow. It was absolutely unbelievable. What bedroom is two bed? It's a two bed convertible three actually. So you can you can have a three bedroom, but you know, uh, two point nine nine nine. Wow. And at the end of the day, I we had probably seventeen people show up for that. Wow. Is and that five hundred five? It's at the five hundred five. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. It's amazing, and a lot of buyers out there on their own. Brokers beware, uh, which yes. was also very interesting to me. So. 
uh, again, what, do you th- what do you think is interesting about that? Because when I see that a lot of buyers out on their own, I feel like there's a, way too many buyers in the market right now. And then the ones who are not represented are less likely to, to transact. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you and I know that. We all, we all kind of feel that. I think you're best represented when you are with a broker. But at the end of the day, I don't really know the answer to that other than I think still buyers out there believe – that they can get better deals if they go directly to the listing agent or to the open house on their own. And we all know that that isn't true because you do need best representation when you're out there uh, putting offers in on an apartment because you don't know all the nuances. But I think also that sometimes people just um, get up in the morning and decide that this is what they want to do and they go. I did have a bunch of people um, – uh, say that they were going to be, you know, talking to their broker after. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not, but this is what they told me. Um, but it's interesting because I thought, especially on the high end, the three million dollar apartment, that would have a lot more buyer represent- uh, broker. I will say that for me, um, a lot of my buyers who I've known for a long time will go out and do their homework a little bit first to figure mm-hmm. out what they really want. Um, and then once they figure out their sort of, you know, like, this is what I like, this is what I don't like, um, that's when they start working with me. I mean, but these are people I've had relationships with for a long time. And like, I sort of have, I, I already know that they're going to eventually come to me when they're really ready. I, I so look- I think that's, that's, it's probably 50-50. Some people don't want to be bothered, but other people, I, I do personally experience that quite a bit. I was going to ask about that because I do the same thing. In fact, this weekend, because I was so busy um, with uh, my open houses, um, that I had two buyers go out on their own. But they sign you in though, and they right? Sign, they sign me. Yeah. Hopefully they do. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I've worked with actually both sets of these right. buyers before, so I'm, I'm pretty sure they do. So that does happen. So sometimes when they say, well, you know, I'm going to speak to my broker later, I went to the sign-in sheet and in a couple of cases, the broker's name was there and in a couple of cases it wasn't. So, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I'm not quite yeah. sure what, you know, that means, but... It could be too. I'm sorry. I was going to say it could also be that it it is a little early in the spring selling season. Buyers are still just getting their feet wet. And and kind of to your point, they could just be looking at, you know, apartments and kind of getting a sense. It's like cleaning your apartment before the cleaning lady comes. You know what I mean? Like, I think that that's what they're doing for us a little bit. (laughs) You caught me. (laughs) A point uh, you made just a moment ago, Vince, about buyers sometimes coming directly without using a broker. They really don't understand the way it works and what I try to explain to people when they, when buyers say to me as a listing broker, I want to work with you directly because I know I'll get a better deal. Mm-hmm. I always say, well, you know, I have a signed contract with the seller. We're not going to knock down commission. You're not going to get a better price because we're going to cut commission. This is what they think. They really do. And I put it out there right away to show them that it's a consistent it thought is. because all the years that I'm in the business, that is exactly what the buyers go through. And it's interesting because when you do explain it to them, mm-hmm. most of the time they look at you like, you know, you can see the light bulb go off like, oh, wow. All right. So that makes sense. Yeah. I, re- I didn't really think that, you know, the commission could be reduced whereby that I can get a better price because the seller under contract still has to pay you what they contracted to pay you. So, I, you know, until you really explain you know that what, to them, though, they don't get it. I think mm-hmm. that um, that – the savvier buyers think of it as if there's more money going into the pocket of this specific broker, then they're likely to do the direct deal over the not so direct. And we'd like to believe that most of our colleagues respect the brokerage system and and are fair. I know 
Like for me, I've, I've had like five, multiple bid situations where I'll have five bids, two of them are direct. And I literally put them all in front of the owner and not even mention and just let them look at it and take a pick. And you'd hope that most brokers out there are doing that. But you do hear exceptions to the rule for and sure. And there have been brokers who have said yeah. to me, we're only $3,000 apart. Let's split it and we'll be from our commission and let's get this deal done. And then I look at the deal and I say they're buying a $15 million apartment all cash. I'm not going to buy it for them. You know, yeah. they yeah. are they going to pay my mortgage next month? Well, and that's is, not what our contract yeah. says with the seller. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly right. And that's mm-hmm. when you have to clarify sometimes for these people. And it's interesting when I'm counseling newer agents, you know, who don't necessarily understand how to come back with that, you know, objection handling. And I tell them exactly that. Listen, you know, um, everybody wants a deal. Everybody thinks they're out there trying to find something that they're going to. You know, we 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 have deals that fall down over ten thousand dollars sometimes. So you got to make sure that you understand, you know, what 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 the real you know problem is before you it's can handle the objection. It's usually ego, right? In those situations, it's, it's usually ego. ego. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I think it's it's tough for buyers to understand sometimes like who a good broker is because they could be working with one broker and then have a bad experience and then be completely turned off Very to true. it. And then they realize post facto or they don't realize at all that the broker's six months in the business and they didn't realize that and that's why they had a bad experience. But And then they're kind of turned off to go work with a more seasoned professional um, and they try and do a lot of the work on their own and then because there's, there's so little inventory and so many buyers, they're, they're just completely getting outbid and it kind of turns into a, a little bit of a cycle. So it, it's just important to understand that who you're working with too. And it's important to find that right broker. You're right now yeah. because, you know, there are so many people out there, hate to say it, it is our industry that, you know, sometimes give us a bad reputation. But those of us in this room and many others out there yep. are reputable and uh, decent to work with. You know, I and think it does help. I think for the listeners, I think it's important to sort of talk about, well, what does define that great broker, you know? And um, and it's just interesting. I feel like that there are certain very consistent qualities that I think good brokers have. One is first and foremost, it's just market product knowledge, and I think second is really about how much they genuinely. And you can tell this. I mean, we just take a step back and see what their agenda is. I think it's pretty clear to see the brokers who are just trying to get a deal done and the ones who are actually looking out for your vested interest. You know, so I think that those two, for me personally, are like probably top of my list. What what would you guys say? I would agree with the product knowledge thing because as a matter of fact, I tell, again, young agents that mm-hmm. to, in order to be credible out there in the market, out there in the field with your customers, buyers or sellers, you really have to understand what the product is. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand, uh, you have to know ways to be able to communicate that mm-hmm. product knowledge because basically at the end of the day, especially in this town, you know, it's everybody's pastime. Everybody thinks they know real estate in New York, but they some do and most don't. Our, our, you know, credible knowledge is really what people and pay for. Exactly, right? Because everybody can look up an open house on Street Easy. It's about the context we provide. I think we've talked about this before, but it really is about the context you can provide as a broker. And also, I think that, like, I know Niall has spoken on on air a few times about just the process and understanding the ins and outs and all the sort of details of the process process as well, because that's a whole separate issue. Mm-hmm. You might know the market, but if you don't know how to do all the different things that need to happen in order to get the deal to the closing table, then that's also complicated. So it, It's not only that, but on Street Easy, there's a lot of information, lot but there may be things that only a broker will know. For instance, I have yeah. a new one-bedroom co-op listing where I'm very transparent. I put in the listing, in the description, sorry, no pied terre which is a second home, mm-hmm. no co-purchasing, and no guarantors allowed by this building. 
there are a lot of people who don't read all the way down. Yeah. And or also read people, it all. Or read it read all. It exactly. Or, or even well, understand what half of that means. Exactly. Right? But so. there are a lot of brokers who don't put that in. Mm-hmm. That's where a good broker is golden. Yeah. Because right. they just saves will you time. know. Exactly. Yeah. You're not going to come know. back flying from Chicago to exactly. New York 15 times. You go once. Yeah. And then Absolutely. you know, know exactly where you can go. Yeah. That's Absolutely. that's a huge value mm-hmm. add. That right. Really and not cool. only yeah. that, it's just like there's so many missteps that you can take, or just because something is priced at three point five million, you know, you don't really have an understanding of why that apartment may not be worth that, even though the one next door that's the same square footage is, you know. And there's, con- I mean, buildings are ver- vertical neighborhoods, and there's so much that goes into even sort of assessing that. So even someone who's looking at neighborhood comps and saying, well. These are all apartments that are alike and, and priced at the same plate, same price point. Not necessarily. I had that discussion yesterday afternoon again about my one bedroom with a brand new broker who was saying, well, you know, we're looking at all the comps and the most recent comp and the one bedroom that closed six months ago was close to $100,000 less than what you're asking. And I said, take a good look at it in your listing system. And I mentioned three other systems and I said, it was an alcove studio with a wall put up. Mm-hmm. And he yep. said, oh. That was marketed as a one bed. What? Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. he yes. can't, yeah. He did, yep. and he, he was, was a brand new broker yeah. yep. and he, very full of himself when he came into the open house. But when it came down to the nuts and bolts of just him and me without an audience, right? he really was brand new. So just like you hire a doctor, you hire anyone to take care of you, your home is going to be your most expensive mm-hmm. investment in your whole life. Yeah. You need to vet your broker. They, they could be your sister's son who is new in the business and he could be a doll. But unless he's paired up with a seasoned broker, you're not going to get the service you deserve. It's really interesting because we all run up against that room count issue, as yeah. I call it. And I, yeah. I was out last weekend with a $3 million buyer, and we're looking at three bedrooms. And I can't tell you how many listings we walked into that open house Sunday mm-hmm. where – I was looking around and saying, "Where's the third bedroom?" <laughs> well, it's up on the alco. It's up on the balcony, and it's, it's open and exposed, and it's this and it's that. And I said, "Well, okay, guys, you know, this is not a three-bedroom apartment. Yeah. You may have the square footage, you may have the space to create something, yeah. but until it's created and officially created with a wall yeah. and a closet and right. a this and a that, a window rather." It isn't a three-bedroom. And the thing about that is it's such a disservice to really everyone in the process yeah. because yes. you really want someone as, a, as a, a marketing – as a broker who's marketing a property. I mean you don't want to oversell it because mm-hmm. yeah. then people that come in, you're going to get the wrong buyer. That's, mm-hmm. You, you yeah. want the right buyer. Your job is to focus on the positives, right. yes, yeah. but don't oversell anything because then what happens is you get the wrong people in the door. Wait, you might yeah. have 100 people at well, the open house, but yeah, guess you what? Bring up, no one's interested. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point because it's a matter of like, okay, so what do you look for in a good broker? But what do you <clears> look out for? and make sure that you're not looking at the wrong criteria, right? And I think one of the problems, especially sellers, like one of the mistakes sellers make is they sit there and hire the broker that says to them that they get whoever can sell it at the highest price. And sometimes brokers unfortunately say that just to get the listing and then you're chasing the market instead of being ahead of the market. Um, You know, also I think a lot of times people look at, you know, what somebody's, you know, what last five deals were or whatnot. And it's like, they're like, oh, well, this person does so many deals in the $4 million bracket. Well, it could have just been that that person's, you know, husband or wife is a big executive and they have a natural pool of customers, but they not may not necessarily know as much as the next broker who really genuinely knows the market, the product and how to get the deal done. So I really think that meeting brokers individually and really sort of assessing them and fleshing out what they really stand for and what they can do for you is really important. 
All right. Well said. We're going to have to take a break. We will be back. But first, you're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we're back, and we're talking to our panel so a couple of panel topics today. For example, if a 24 by 7 room service and concierge at your beck and call appeals to your inner self, then living in a hotel condo hybrid could be the ideal situation for you. But what are the pros and cons of this type of lifestyle and what do I expect to pay for that? People ask me this all the time. Is this a fashionable thing to do today, living in a hotel style condominium with all the, the bells and whistles that you get if you're staying at an actual hotel? I think it really depends on who the buyer is of, of, the, uh, of the apartment, right? So if you have somebody from China who was just coming to town in a pied-a-terre situation, you know, they're, they're going to be more likely to, to buy um, in those types of buildings where it's a hybrid, right? Because they could just go to New York, post up, and have everything taken care of immediately. Trump Soho, for example. Um, there's, a, there's a number of buildings that will allow that. And then, you know, there are domestic, you know, buyers that, that are looking for that. They don't have to be in New York. They could be, you know, from California where they, it, again, the, the premise for that is, you know, they could just come to New York, live in their apartment, and have all of their, uh, their needs literally at their beck and call. And it's kind of an escape from where they, they normally live. So, for that, I think you know it's really important to understand who the buyer is, and then you know I think that will cater to you know the certain demographic. But what about the price premium to to purchase something like that lifestyle? It's more even <clears throat> just the carrying cost. But the funny thing is, is that's what I'm getting at. Thank you. Yeah. Huge. So there's huge like monthlies on stuff like that. But uh, I've done the math on um, some of these condo hybrids for my foreign buyers, and uh, weirdly. Because it's almost like Airbnb. Because mm. the 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 price at which these apartments rent out on a nightly basis, um, it actually ends up working out financially in their favor, even after these ridiculous costs. Interesting. Yeah. So there are actually a few of them that work out well. Not mm. all of them. And the lifestyle, I guess, you know, as you said too, Niall, you know, the lifestyle is what people, you know, s- seek. Especially for a pied-à-terre type place, they want to come into town and they really don't want to deal with any issues of owning an apartment, really just having a place to stay. But they want all the 
the room service and all the you know the porter service, whatever they want mm-hmm. at their beck and call, yeah. and it's easy for them. And I guess if you can afford those very mm-hmm. high monthlies, why not? Um, it's an interesting lifestyle. Yes, I it, personally also, don't think it's for me. What they're driven for a lot of these buyers are just they're looking to park their money here, mm-hmm. right? And if, as long as they're even as much as breaking even, which sometimes it's even more so than that. Um, I think one of the most important things to look at for those sorts of purchases is like the utilization of the hotel itself. So, mm-hmm. you know, if they're usually booked up, you know, what percentage are they booked up per night? Like there's averages that are that are basically every every hotel keeps that. And, and one of the and, big cons is kind of what you're alluding right. to. Like the con would be that someone else is staying in your in your apartment when you're not there. Correct. You know? I mean, right. that, that's the thing. Yes. Some people right. just don't want to deal with that. They, right. they, when they buy something, they want to be the mm-hmm. only people that are staying in there. Right. Absolutely. That's, that's, how that's, I, that's yeah. sort of my, my thinking. Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. That's how I feel. Because yeah. I, I, if <laughs> yeah. it's my place, I really don't want anybody. <laughs> yeah. I really don't want anybody in there. But Stay out of my drawers. <laughs> we are yeah. moving towards a more sharing you know, type of, a, of community, right? Yeah. We have Uber. We have all these different things now where everything is being collectively shared. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, that might be the, 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 wave, the, of the wave of the future. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Well, I think living in New York, we've always shared things. We've shared public space. Yep. Yeah. Look how many free programs there are in every park, every concert hall, because we live in such small places. Yeah. I just think with the age of technology, we're branching out. Yeah. To sharing. You're all way too young to remember the Jetsons on television. I remember the Jetsons. <laughs> of course, I love yeah. the Jetsons. Love the Jetsons. Oh, well, Jetsons. well, do you remember in those days where everything was so intergalactic and you thought, well, yeah. what is the what kind of world could this possibly be, right? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we living in the Jetsons world today? Yeah, all these are. accoutrements and everything else. I'm waiting for my flying car. <laughs> I'm waiting for my iPhone watch. Come on, I mean, yeah. coming soon. But the very yeah. first cell coming. phone was Maxwell Smart's shoe phone. That's right. It's and true. I want my. Right. Which I, you and I remember. I do. <laughs> I want my hoverboard. <laughs> I think they have those. I think those are real. Yeah, it's, they're working on them. <laughs> they are. Okay, so for the out-of-towners who want their own slice of the Big Apple, a pied-a-terre can be the perfect solution. Well, what should you look for when you're buying a second home in New York City? So you live in the suburbs, uh, whether you're empty nester or or not, you have a big life in the city because of work. You want to buy that second home, that pied-a-terre, as we call it here in New York. What you know, what do you need to look for when you're trying to buy one of those in New York? Because it's not so easy to do sometimes. Is the building friendly to pied Well, that, that's, that's where the you most start. fundamental mm-hmm. one. Then and for- a good broker will tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very now, well said, Deborah. But and you know, Deborah, that in co- yes. most co-ops, I'm not going to. Although mm-hmm. I did find a couple recently that are pied friendly. Believe that or not, but most co-ops do not allow that. Tell us why. Actually, it's gotten more to about 50-50, which Mm -hmm. really surprises me, especially on the Upper East, Upper West Sides, and Midtown East. Uh, The reason is co-ops believe that they are a community. Just like when you live in the suburbs, your street, the streets around you, you're a community. You're a neighborhood. Every building in Manhattan is a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants the apartment to become a hotel room. They don't want the Airbnb type thing. They don't want your drunken teenage son coming home after a frat party mm-hmm. they they really don't want this they think it's more wear i think it's less wear and tear on a building but they think if you have a lot of traffic it's more wear and tear on a building i think people just want to know who's coming in and out of their building really mm-hmm. and it's a, it's more of like a comfort safety um, just want, just mm-hmm. not wanting random people, right? Unlike a condo building and condo living. Yeah. There's also some other uh, other things to consider. For example, um, I'm familiar with a small walk-up building. They didn't want pied-a-terres because they had an issue where an apartment was flooded 
And because no one was there for four months, they didn't realize it and it caused so much other damage. So sometimes co-ops, they want Mm -hmm. people to be there. It's a community. They want them Mm -hmm. to be there every day. They don't like this idea of people only being there once every few months or whatever. So there's a lot of different – and the other thing I'll I'll say is I find from from my experience – it's not a yes or no thing either. Like it's not like yes, we'll allow pied-a-terre from a co-op's perspective. It's not yes, we'll take pied-a-terres. No, we won't take them. There's sort of a gray line there. It's what kind of pied-a-terre are you from – do you live in Europe and you're only here a few times? Are you just in Connecticut and you're going to be here every weekend? And I think it really does matter. Also, the boards change a lot. Who's on the board and that could affect it. So it's – um, it, it does – you know, as Deborah said, it, it, the brokers do help in terms of what – buildings allow, but sometimes it's tricky because the the boards do change and sometimes they one incident can happen in a building and that could change whether they allow pit of tears or not. And yeah. I just remembered I know of two buildings in particular on the Upper East Side that will only allow pied a tear if the buyers do not have children who are younger than adults. Isn't that something? Because what? they don't want – no, they don't want, again, the teenage partiers yeah. coming home. There's a lot of people from the suburbs, from Nassau, mm-hmm. from Bergen, from Westchester mm-hmm. County, whose high schoolers – and I know when I lived in Westchester, my high schoolers went to school in the city. Mm-hmm. And they don't want those apartments to turn into party homes when the parents aren't there. That, so, that's a problem in all buildings, but most especially in co-ops yes. because you, we – I lived in a condo um, and it was a, a different type of condo. But there was a little bit of that and people were really kind of up in arms about it because they said, listen, you know, first of all, there's a premium to be had for purchasing condo anyway compared to co-op. And then when you have to have the transient in and out, not the Airbnb stuff, but right. just the, the pied-a-terre stuff or the, the, the kids, you know, coming for the weekend to have a party – it gets a little crazy and, and, and most people don't like it. It's going to be interesting to see how all of that changes over time. And I think a lot of that's going to be based on what happens with this Airbnb controversy and, and lawsuits and whatever. Let's revisit the topic that we talked about many, many times on this show. And I was just recently teaching a, a, a training class to new employee, a new salespeople. But when, when, you, when you get a, a customer for the first time and they say pre-war, post-war, new construction, God, guys, you know, I don't know. What's the difference and what do you think I should lean towards? Now, we all have our prejudices. We all have our, you know, our thoughts and I've, I've made no secret about my love for pre-war. But seriously, when people say to you, you know, I really have no idea what I should be buying, what is really best for me? Because each of these housing stock or types of housing stock are different and for a whole variety of reasons. Well, I feel like, um, you know, it's it's – I think one of the most important questions that comes into play for me as soon as somebody says that is, well, what's most important to you? If it's price per square foot, then the post-war buildings are going to by far win out. If high ceilings and open openness is important to you, then you want to do something that's more modern or loft-like which could be pre or post war. And then, you know, if you want something that's very classic, has classic charm, then then <clears> you'd <throat> want to go for pre war. So it really I think it's just about asking the right questions to sort of narrow it down to what somebody's looking for. You know, a buyer said to me yesterday, and it was very interesting because sometimes, I mean, I always think this, and I'm sure you all do, but he said to me, he says, you know, because I think they want to do some renovation, <laughs> but you can move into the apartment as is and just kind of, you know, do it eventually. And he said to me, he says, you know something? He says, I think what we want to do is move into the apartment and this is going to be a post-war and uh, think about how we want to live in the space before we even decide on how we want to renovate. So he's obviously putting some thought into some of the things that I've been chirping in their ear in the past. Like, hey, you know, you don't really know 
what you're going to do in the space. You can decide on the pre-war, post-war, whatever, but you're not, you don't necessarily know how you want to renovate. And this happened to me personally once. I, I kind of said I want to renovate because, of course, it needed it. But I said I can't do that right away because I don't know how I want to live in this space yet. I have some thoughts about putting this here or putting that there, but I really don't know for sure. So when I heard that yesterday, it kind of was like, okay, so that makes a lot of sense. Not only did they decide on the type of building they wanted, they saw the apartment that they could move into and they said, well, you know, maybe in six months after we decide with all the kids how we want to rearrange this and how we want to do this. And it, it makes total sense for me. Uh, on the heels of that, they say to you, OK, so we love all of New York City. What neighborhood do you think is best for me? I mean, great question, but again, we all have our fair prejudices. Fair housing laws. <laughs> I, I don't even think fair housing. I tell, I tell people well, we can't steer think, people. Right? No, it's so, not yeah. steering. You can't steer them. <laughs> no, no, no. But fair housing didn't even come into my head when when that was mentioned. I was thinking, I talk about your lifestyle. Do you want to well, be in a neighborhood where you're near parks? Whatever. We narrow it down at that point to about five different neighborhoods. Which, out of all the New York neighborhoods, that's a lot. And then I say, I want you to take next weekend. And pick one neighborhood, go to brunch at one place, and walk around, mm-hmm. and then go to lunch at another place, and dinner at a third place. And that way, you will learn who lives there, who you're comfortable with, and what amenities it has. And then the next week, you do the next. Well, that's what I was going to say to Peru. Yeah. I agree with what she says about the fair housing thing. And the way I answer that is exactly yeah. what you just said, Deborah. Mm-hmm. because, listen, I like a particular neighborhood. You like a particular yeah. neighborhood. But just like a building, when they ask you who lives here – you know what? Walk around. Check yeah. it out. There is different things in different neighborhoods, and there are different things for everybody. All right. We're going to take a break. We will be right back. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Perul. We're here with Niall. We're here with Phil. And we're here with Deborah. And we're talking about... 
you know, panel topics that, you know, most buyers and sellers out there, renters out there ask us all the time. Here's one. Let's revisit the topic with the li- – nope. Yeah. Let's revisit this topic with the listening audience. A buyer says, can I spend $750,000 in Hell's Kitchen but I want a two-bedroom, I want a – or a junior four, I want a washer, dryer, and I want outdoor space. Now, we talked about HK last week a little bit but can we spend seven fifty for a two-bed or a junior four, washer, dryer, and outdoor space? Is that possible? Maybe. 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 I mean, the first, when I hear that, the first thing. Right, that's thing a good I, answer. To, yeah, because yeah. The, when you say it, the first thing I think of is, okay, $750,000. So maybe a walk-up, maybe a small mm-hmm. two-bedroom walk-up, mm-hmm. possibly. Something co-op. like. That too. Right? Something co-op. like 800. Co-op. Yeah. Something like 800, 850 square feet. Is that possible? I was going to say, with bedrooms the size of telephone booths, yeah. yes. Hey, this is New York, baby. <laughs> yes, you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a mansion. But is there a washer-dryer and is there outdoor space? Well, maybe outdoor space up on the roof, okay, but what about washer-dryer? And a lot of That's these walk-up buildings. Now you're pushing it, Vince. Now well, you're pushing it. In the but common a, hallway. And maybe. No, but <laughs> a lot you of these walk-up buildings you find. Okay, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where. Washer, okay, so now the basement apartment where it's, it's a little bit submerged. You know, these ones where it's mm-hmm. a little outdoor space, mm-hmm. uh, needs a gut renovation, and it happens to have a washer-dryer, where sometimes these do in the, on right. the bottom floor. And the washer-dryer can go underneath the sink these days. So really, it this can is true. happen. There you like go. dishwasher, Absolutely. how about that? <laughs> the, the, the European <laughs> models, the all-in-one European models, they yep. look just like a dishwasher. Oh, yeah, the ones that take four hours to dry all a pair of jeans. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. Yeah, but I'm not telling anybody that. <laughs> but actually, I've known people. <laughs> Full disclosure, that's why we're the great brokers. <laughs> Especially in new development. You know, I used to get that question all the time. Do they really work efficiently? Absolutely, they do. Of course they do. <laughs> but, you know, I know people who try and sneak those in and do sneak them in because in buildings that don't allow washer dryers, but they just say, oh, I ordered a new dishwasher. They, they put it in and no one knows the difference because in some of the old buildings, plumbing issues, you can't do that. All right, here's one. In a city as old as New York, I love this, you've, uh, you were hard pressed to find an apartment without a past. Every apartment has a past. And brokers are capitalizing sometimes on these stories to market their properties. It's not an uncommon practice. Agents have long tapped into their listings history to find a way to connect with buyers. Is this allowed and are, are there any particular rules? So a famous person lived here. You know, this was a, filmed in a movie or, you know, what we all go to showings with our buyers. And, and if this is one of those apartments, a broker has all to do but to, you know, start tap dancing when they realize, you know, you may be interested in a famous person who lived here. I was talking to a friend last night and she said, yeah, I'm sure you say this all the time. Like this apartment is just two blocks away from where Get Shorty was filmed, you know? <laughs> Get Shorty. Two blocks away. Now there's the impetus right. for me to write a check. Two blocks away. It, it was just the funniest cool. thing, yeah. It's interesting. When I was at my previous firm, a friend of mine had a – I think it was either a studio or a one bedroom in the West 50s that some famous rock musician, I can't remember now, but, but somebody really big, I could say Jerry Garcia, but not him. Someone of that caliber had lived there. So the company made a big fuss about her listing and putting it up and everything, but it didn't help sell the apartment. It was still a small, needing renovation apartment. It's so interesting because it never does. I had a penthouse. <laughs> I had a penthouse here in Hell's Kitchen. I'm not going to say the building, but, um, uh, oh my God, six, maybe six years ago, I had a penthouse on the market for sale and it hadn't been touched, meaning it hadn't been renovated in, in probably 20 years, maybe more. It was owned by Robert Stigwood, for, the producer from, um, uh, what is it? Um, Saturday Night Fever, the John Travolta movie, uh, way back in the 70s. So he sold it to the current owner. I get this listing because she's selling it. She owned it for like 20, 25 years and she's telling me all these stories about all the parties that used to happen there. John Travolta was at the rap party on this 3,000 square foot outdoor deck. 
whatever. So all of this stuff and, and I'm thinking, okay, so how can I put this into my marketing? How can I say, you know, wow, guess who used to own this apartment and guess who used to come here? And all the 20 years that she owned it after Robert Stigward, she had this 3,000 square foot outside English garden. Up on the seventh floor was amazing and wow. she used to have all kinds of model shoots and, and, and commercial shoots because it was just known for that kind of apartment. Do you know that no one seemed interested in any of that when I was selling that apartment and I would say, you know, John Travolta had his rap party here so that's kind of big and somebody said to me, who's that? Oh, okay. So I'm thinking, okay, this is not the right group of people. Who cares about that? Robert Stigwood, who, is he still alive? You know, it's it, no one cares. I guess it maybe helps get a little more traffic in the door, maybe. Out of but curiosity. Then, yeah, Do but I don't guys, know if it translates. Just okay. recently, like I just remember seeing that Jackson Pollock's like, like apartment. It was a fairly love small Jackson apartment. Pollock. Love, love, love. For some reason, I personally found charm in that. Like, I was like, oh, wow, that's like Jackson Pollock's, like, you know, place where he did these, like, incredible paintings. For some reason, that's the probably the one apartment and the one story that resonated with me as far as, like, famous people is concerned. I was in Sting's apartment way back. A colleague of mine at Halstead oh. at the time had his apartment on the market for sale, and he had a broke roof and house. So we, on Central Park West, so we all went over to check it out. And I felt the same way. I thought yeah. it was like, wow, he's really an icon. Yeah. You know, he's really unbelievable. And who didn't like him? Still don't, you know, still like him. But to go into his apartment and realize, and they spent a lot of time in New York. It's not like a pied de terre for him. He spent most of his time there. And you just felt sort of like, you know, all his stuff was there, all his, you know, guitars and things were there. So it was like, wow, you know, yeah. certain, so energy. certain energy. Yeah. And so sometimes it does, yeah. you know, make a difference. But, but there's also that apartment. Does it sell it quickly? Who knows? Well, there's the apartment we've all heard about that's been on the market for, I really don't know, four or five years, all the way on East 72nd Street. And I think it's still on the market. That was Frank Sinatra's apartment, yes. his party pad. Yes. And wow. I give credit to every broker who has represented it because they did a wonderful mm -hmm. job talking about mm -hmm. that. But it comes down to is it livable and is the price right? Mm -hmm. And right. just like you just said. And in that particular mm -hmm. case, because I haven't been in that apartment, but I've seen the listing and I've seen the photographs and you need a lot of work in that apartment. So it looks like he left it you know, 30 years ago. <laughs> the person who bought it from him or whatever probably didn't do much. And that's the other thing too. They may not have wanted to touch it. But in 2015, if you're going to buy that, you're going to probably want to do some work. <laughs> a landlord is about to renew a lease with his tenant, and the tenant has asked to add an early termination clause. Is this standard in New York, and is there a typical notice period? What kind of legal language should be included? Mr. Phil. I'll answer that. Um, mm -hmm. That's right. I'd say it's definitely not standard to have okay. an early termination clause. But tenants do get them sometimes and if someone wants to exit early, I always ask them to ask their landlord, see if you can get an early termination clause. Sometimes they're blackout periods, so a landlord will allow it but doesn't want the lease to come up come up during the winter months or when it's difficult to rent it. So they may say Completely I'll allow understood. an early yeah. termination clause but the lease has to end in the summer or you know can't end it during the winter months. Um, and sometimes I'll also – if a landlord does allow it, they'll also say, well, we'll allow it but you have to get Give us 60 days notice or 90 days notice because they want enough time to be able to rent it because ultimately if the landlord's allowing this this concession, mm -hmm. they don't want the apartment to be um, – you know to go on the market without a tenant being in there. So they want enough time to be able to show it uh, while you're in there. So I actually use that clause to um, – for a lot of managing agents or agencies have uh, has have rules of no less than a, a full one year lease, 
And in those instances, whenever I have a renter who's showing up saying, you know, would you rent this for six months and the owner wants to do it, the way, and you know, if any managing agents are listening to this, I'm in trouble. But uh, but the thing is, is that what I've found is, you know, putting in that clause saying that they have a six month out still they're still applying for a year so they can get so it's a way ar- around that rule of the one year lease. One thing I just want to we are on the that. same yeah. wavelength, Peru, because I'm, I'm actually doing I do that, that just this all week. The time, yeah. Which is exactly. good, but one thing you both should just, just be mindful of, I guess, is just, just know that sometimes the mm-hmm. building does not allow the landlord to rent to more than one person in a year's period. That's correct. So right. the thing is you want to also make sure you educate your right. client correct. to say, right. listen, you can do this, but if your tenant exits in six months instead right. of a year, you may not be able to rent it to someone else for the for, for, for a full year. So well, what about to- like assignment? Assignment uh, of the lease. That depends on it's the like termination. It's a, yeah, that's if it depends if it's. I've had that happen actually, even my personal situation. So usually the, they're more willing to work with you in that in that situation. Yeah, um, but it really depends on the condo board, the co-op board, if it's a landlord. Like in a rental, I feel like landlords uh-huh. are generally just going to say flat out, absolutely not. There's no you know uh, early termination clause, but. If you're able, there's in like the standard um, real estate board in New York lease, they have it and it says, uh, it says that you can assign. So right. I believe like that. That's but it standard. probably says like with, with, permission, with permission, and then of right. course yes, it exactly. will not be unreasonably withheld. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. What's unreasonable? So I always say like a landlord has a lot of leeway, and there's enough legal language in there for it to go both ways. Yeah. Like yeah. so, you gotta, you know, you really want to get the landlord's approval on all this stuff because they can make your life really. They, Absolutely. for example, they could say, well, I'm not going to review the paperwork for a month, yep. and they and no court would have a problem with that. Correct. And that's a big problem in the real estate market. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really hold on hold something for a month. You know, it's just yeah. not. Gonna Works. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. All right. So listen, this, this this is the bone I want to pick with the New York City transit system. Subway <laughs> and bus fares went up to two seventy two dollars and seventy five cents one way. Okay, so we're all in real estate. We all run around, we all use the trains from time to time. How much time do you actually spend on the train every day and how productive is it? Now I, I can be <laughs> You know, whatever, and say, I never take the train. I'm always on a cab. I'm always an Uber. I'm always on whatever. But there are times I do take the train, much to my chagrin. $2.75 each swipe. What is that about? I've heard that. New Yorkers. I've heard that the cost of a subway ride is always about the same as the cost of a slice of pizza. Have you guys heard that? No. No. Yeah, so yeah like, but I'm old enough to remember pizza being 50 cents a slice, and, and that and, doesn't exist and, anymore. And wasn't the subway 50 cents at the time? The subway ride was 50 cents at the time. The subway was 50 cents. Yeah, so they say it it, whatever the subway ride is, that's how much a slice well, the of pizza deal, is. The deal in the city is two seventy five gets you two slices of pizza <laughs> and a Coke. That's right. <laughs> so, it's time today. Okay, so that's then right. there's a, there's so, a problem. Yeah. So get a little much. Well, you get a transfer. You get a free transfer. Free transfer at 59th Street. But then you contrast that to $12.50 for a taxi ride to the same location. So yeah. you complain about – we complain about $2.75 one way, but I that one way in a cab could be $12. I, I, honestly, I don't know about you guys. I try to take a subway as much as I can. I think it's the, the best – one of the best public transportation systems really in any city. I mean it's really pretty good. It absolutely it is. Gets it gets you there. It gets you there. in a lot of cases. Oh, so much faster. Yeah. Yeah. If I know it's like rush hour, there's yeah. no way I'm jumping in a cab. There's no way. Well, and the reason I bring it. this up is because as you say in rush hour and in most of the time we show in rush hour, you know, all of our buyers and, and, and whatever are available later in the afternoon into the evening rush hour so that's when we're traveling around so i you know it is the best way to get around but there's something about the train sometimes i'm like you know well, well you know what i take so. a lot of buses because if i'm able to 
as opposed to subways because then I could catch up on all my emails yeah. on my smartphone well, that, yeah. on a bus. Yeah, you were yeah. talking so about – So I feel like I'm multitasking. Yeah, yeah. But you're right about Being productive in those spaces and that's a great exactly. way to do it if you know you're going to just go up 7th Avenue or Absolutely. whatever. Absolutely. I do that all the bus. time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good way. And then when before I moved to Manhattan, I lived in Brooklyn for a while. So I spent a lot of time on the subways. Mm-hmm. So that was a very productive time for me where I was just reading books and educating myself on mm-hmm. you know real estate mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it was in particular that I was reading. And I thought that was tremendous. Mm-hmm. I also think that that downtime, the mental downtime where you just switch off, even if it's for a few minutes um, and you're reading something that is not real estate, I think it's a great reset button, actually. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. totally agree. Let's come back. Let's go to commercial. We'll be back in a few. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back for our last segment. And I wanted to ask about... The drawbacks of living in a single-family townhouse. Now, we've talked about townhouses on this program many times before. They are for some people. They aren't for others. City, uh, admittedly, you know, few people, you know, have their their issues with, say, creaky stairs, perhaps no skyline views, maybe the occasional old draft if the house hasn't been updated and, and uh, renovated. Yet, while they are long on charm, they can also be short on convenience. What then becomes the allure for buyers out there to buy these houses or as someone said to me not too long ago i have to have one you can have whatever you want that's perfectly fine <laughs> happy to help you <laughs> but seriously i have to have one so this says to me when i hear these things and i heard that every day <laughs> well i was going to say i wish yeah. i could too but but when i hear these things in our industry i think to myself sometimes okay so is there a trend being set here i have to have a townhouse Okay. I remember hearing, I have to have a penthouse. It could be something as easy as someone who this person really admires at his child's private Mm -hmm. school just got a townhouse Mm -hmm. and we're back in seventh grade and we're competing on the playground. A lot of people don't. (laughs) It's true. A lot of people don't realize living in a townhouse, there are also a lot of day-to-day things. You're taking out your own Mm -hmm. garbage, not down the hall to the chute in your pajamas, but it could be snowy or pouring and it has to be done by city standards. And the city actually goes through the recycling to make sure the right things are in there Mm -hmm. and you can get fined. You have to 
either yourself or pay someone to shovel the steps when you're not around and the sidewalk in front. You have to have your roof checked all the time. And the same way we all know about Local Law 11, which is the repointing for the large buildings, you too have to have your place inspected and pay quite a few thousand dollars to have scaffolding erected for Local Law 11. There are all these little costs that people don't think about with townhouses. There are a lot of obvious costs and there are a lot of hidden costs. I had a townhouse on the market last winter and just exactly as you said, Deborah, we got violations like almost every week because this was an absentee owner. He had already moved back to South America. The house was empty, staged. And through the winter months, and we had a strong winter last winter, as we could yeah. all remember, no one was shoveling the front of that house. And so every time I would show up to show it, which was like all the time, I'm climbing over snow mounds to get into the front door until I can finally convince the seller to hire somebody just for the season to to shovel the snow. That happened at the end of the season. But we got lots of violations because – the neighborhood people, and this is a complete brownstone block, would complain about it to the city because every time they walked in front of that house, they couldn't. They had to go out onto the street and then back onto the sidewalk because the snow, again, last year was a lot and the mounds were enormous. Wow. So there were lots of violations. But I also wonder, you know, with this I have to have, the prices these days on a townhouse are not, you know, what they used to be. They are astronomical, you know. Seven million, probably up to twenty-five, thirty million, depending on location. I have to wonder where do people come up with this kind of money, and why would they want to spend on a townhouse with, as you all just said, there are no amenities. There are no. There's no unless you have your well, own hired I, staff. I feel that there's a there's a psychological value to your own home, like the where it's just yours, right? Number one, and then secondly, I think anything that's sort of becoming not obsolete per se, but just whatever, anything that's like a diminishing uh, supply, you know, it tends to then bring intrigue. So, you know, there's townhouses are going away. I mean, if you look at the history of New York, right, like it's like there are these huge homes like the Astors and like the, um, you know, uh, the Brevorts and people just had like these huge homes and like <clears throat> there was actual, yeah, there were actually lawns and things. And like, as these things have been just pared down over time, you know, like the big homes on Fifth Avenue, like there's, I think now like effectively the same thing is a townhouse for us in Manhattan. And so I see it. I mean, if you have that sort of cash, you know, and we know where people get that cash from. I mean, there's so much money in this city, right? That if I had that kind of money, I mean, you know, like one of my favorite things that I've ever sold and I'd probably want to own myself is um is a 34-foot wide townhouse with a retractable wow. roof in the West Village. And, um, you know, that I would, you know, I have to have one of those the day I have $50 million. <laughs> that has my name all over but, it, yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. But it was For just sure. one of the most – and I mean, each floor had like 20-foot ceilings. I mean, it's just like one of the most spectacular properties I've seen and I've had the ability to sell, which, I mean, I'm just – thrilled that I was able to sell this to somebody, you know? And there are people out there who do say, no, I don't want that. Yeah. I, I need to have the, the, the doorman, the mm-hmm. full service, the, the high rise. I need to be off the ground, whatever. And eh, that's okay. There's In this town, as we know, in this business, there is something for everybody. Contributing to bidding wars today are the way homes are priced for sale. Since the financial crisis, real estate agents have pushed sellers to set the asking price closer to the market price. This draws more buyers who are well aware of the limited inventory and what prices the market will bear. True or false? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. I think it depends. Mm-hmm. It depends on the broker and the strategy that they ask. The Great seller answer. That they and the want. product. Yeah, Great answer. And the product. But I've used that strategy with listings mm-hmm. where I've Me priced too. it you know, at or right below. 
and then it generates crazy traffic. Mm-hmm. And then just yeah. by having people there, like at your open houses, because there were 17 people in the place at once, I'm sure that's why you got two offers. Yeah. Yep. And, people and, want and, what other people want. And, yeah. and, and <laughs> well, so absolutely. Yep. But, you know, interesting because the seller said to me recently, and I, I admire this, um, we haven't gone to market yet, but I admired this. He said, listen, you know, maybe we need to think about setting the price just under what the market is because if we do that, maybe we're going to, you know, incent people to come, more people to come, and maybe we'll get a lot more offers and push that over the asking price. And I said, well, that is a strategy and people have used it before. I have used it before and successfully. I said, so let's – and we're kind of talking about that back and forth. Yeah. But, you know, I, I believe that um, if things are priced well or priced correctly, they will sell. And like you just said, you know, with 17 people in an apartment in one day plus multiple other private showings and two offers, I mean, who knows where this is going to go. And again, I, I, it's remarkable at the price point that we're at that there is that much much interest out there. And as we talked about before, the two lesser priced apartments in the building had traffic, of course, but not the the, the crazy buzz that um, this penthouse has. So aside from townhouses, penthouses are also the rage, I think probably more so than ever. Absolutely. This year, unbelievable. All right, so even at a time when phone numbers have become, I love this, have become as portable as the devices you know uh, we carry, the 212 um, number is still very much in demand. And the odds of getting one really remain slim, even though New Yorkers have been abandoning their traditional home lines. I mean, I haven't had a home phone in five years probably – all of which have the, had the old two one two numbers. Why is two one two such a highly coveted? And I, you know, I asked this for a reason because somebody just recently had this huge conversation with me. But why is the two one two number so highly coveted? I mean, we have on cell phones three four seven six four six nine one seven. Some people do have two one two on their cell phones. Um, what, what's what's about two one two? I guess it's kind of like a um, a coveted pre-war classic six on central park where it's just a lot of demand very little supply and there's something about the 212 number that just is so new york it's old new york and there's a seinfeld episode about it too yes. so, I think, <laughs> so i think that carries a lot of weight into where we are right now and that's sort of where that conversation <laughs> yeah, came yeah, from somebody yeah, was mentioning funny. that and i thought i need to mention that on to, on the radio yeah. because Listen, I'm, I'm, I don't have a 212 number anymore except my office number. But, I mean, when I gave up my house phone probably five years ago, maybe six, one of the things that I really thought most about was, you know what? I'm giving up my – what I feel my slice of the pie here in New York is and that was getting my first 212 number and having that for so many years actually, and now actually giving it up. I wonder if the millennials and the youngest of New Yorkers feel the same way because I feel like like all things, things sort of – you know, have a time period and things get obsolete. So I feel like this conversation might be a little outdated from a certain point of view because <laughs> I remember – so when I came to the city, it was the, – the blood was drawn between 917 and 347 because nobody wanted to let it seem like they're from Brooklyn. In the last, I think, three, four, five years, I'm sure that these younger kids people who are coming into the city probably love having 347 because it like gives them like the Brooklyn uh, stripes, if you will, right? Yeah, I, I got a 917 yeah. because I was like, I got to be Manhattan. That's right. Yes, me too. Me too. I, 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 I had to Brooklyn. have 917. Well, it's interesting so, yeah. because for me, <laughs> for me, the 917, even though I had my, my cell number 917 before I gave up my 212, but that's what helped me over the hump of, of really the, the stress <laughs> of giving up 212 because I said, well – 
at least I have my 917. <laughs> That's all that counts. I I'm still a New, York, New, York I'm still a New right. Yorker. Yep. New exactly. <laughs> and to Perul's point before the millennials, I can tell you my, my business partner, yeah. Shane, mm-hmm. probably could care less about 212 or anything that's like, you know, right. whatever. I just live in New York and that's that's good enough right. for me. Right, and I think now they might actually want the 347 because it says Brooklyn, <laughs> right? So well, pro- who knows? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I have no idea. All right. Well, um, unfortunately, we are out of time yet again. That is it for uh, Good Morning New York this week. Next week, we have Bill Ritter, the anchorman from Eyewitness News Channel 7 here locally in New York, going to be our featured guest. We're back next Tuesday morning live at 9 a.m., 6 6 a.m. Pacific time. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.